like he's a bad guy and in a, in a time like he's the anti captain america <laughs> dodge this i am the father i'm here on a mission of mercy There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 114 of the Movie Bite Podcast. We're going to talk about some movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, November the 25th, just before Thanksgiving. The year is 2014. I am TJ, your host. And joining me today with probably more acting talent than Liam Hemsworth, it is Mikey Fizzle. Uh, That's a fact. What is up, Fizz? Oh, man, I am just getting ready for the holidays. Yeah, Thanksgiving is uh, is a wonderful time of year, isn't it? We get to eat turkey and give thanks and eat turkey and stuffing. I like stuffing. I do. Uh, okay, so most people, I don't know, I want to say make fun of me or pity me, whichever one applies. Well, I mean, they both probably apply, honestly. In this particular situation, though, <laughs> I think the first time I went to my wife's family's Thanksgiving dinner, I, they were like, oh, Laura told us that you really love cranberry sauce. So we made like they made this. I'm sure it was amazing, like fresh cranberry thing. And they're like, oh, you're going to love this. We made this just for you. And I looked at it and I didn't even know what it was. I said, (laughs) what is this? And they're like, oh, it's cranberry sauce. I said, that is not cylindrical and with can marks on it. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, that doesn't even count. I was like, I was like, that's the cranberry sauce I'm talking about. And I really don't like any cranberry sauce if it doesn't come from that can. And it goes like when you when you put it out and it flops over on the plate and you slice so it all nice. You, you like my, filling your body with toxins is what you're saying. Well, I'm American. <laughs> I think that's my right. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Give me that hamburger with extra grease. That's, so, so that's along the same lines. Uh, the cranberry sauce out of a can. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of cranberry sauce anyway, but I can just cannot imagine eating it out of a can. You're you're wrong, Fizz. You're just wrong. Well, let's be clear. I don't eat it out of the can. I let it first and then <laughs> flop over and then I slice it. Okay. <laughs> well, as long as you do that, then that, that that sort of counteracts the um the nasty preservatives and toxins they put in that can stuff. I mean, it seems that's what I've been told. Yeah. So. <laughs> But anyway, I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving. I'm very excited because it's one of my favorite holidays, just visiting family, spending time, not having really anything to do for a little while is a huge change of pace. So do you have any movies you like to watch over the Thanksgiving holidays? There is nothing except for a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving or happy Thanksgiving, Charlie Brown, whichever, you know, whatever that, how that title is. And I have been incredibly slack about doing that, but there's no, no particular one. Uh, Laura and I, or my wife and I have gotten in the habit of watching a film over the Thanksgiving holiday. Kind of like we started going to uh, a movie on Christmas day. It's just, um, 
it's been a lot of fun because it's something we do by ourselves. Yeah. Typically we invite lots of people to go see movies with us, but it's one of those times where like, this is, you know, this is the part of the holiday where it's just us. We do something nice for each other and we go to a movie and then we go and join the rest of whoever and try to be as lazy as possible. I wish I had more friends locally who are interested in movies like that. That would be fun to have. You mentioned you usually go out to movies with everybody else besides, you know, just your wife. And that would be wonderful. But it's not the way it works for me. I'm usually in the theater all by myself. I look sad. And I, I sometimes I think, like, do people do people wonder, like, occasionally they'll even ask at the ticket counter, like, just just one? Just, just one? Just one? Just, and like, they, say like, it, they say ever, it like that, right? Yeah. yeah just one? It's like nobody else in the world does that. It's like... Yes, just one. I have no life. That's the way. Yeah. To- <laughs> they're never, they're never, they never sound excited. But like, oh, just one. You're going to enjoy this. Yeah. <laughs> they're always, they're always like, oh, yep, just one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Would you like this gun? You can use it after the movie's <laughs> over because I'm sure you're very sad. So, so it's. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so obviously, listeners have probably noticed that my regular co-host Joe is not with us today. He, um, he had to bow out this week. He will be with us again next week, but he had some family stuff come up that he uh, has to take care of. So, um, priorities. Yeah, priorities. Obviously, I mean, I, I know that that his priority for movie bite seems a little lax here, but I, I think that the family <laughs> priority. I think we can let that slide. I mean, um, it's Thanksgiving week. Yeah. Let's yeah. just be thankful that Joe is around at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm thankful he's around. I don't know what I'd do without him. So, uh, I wanted to spend a little time, as is my want, talking about Movie Bite 3.0. Uh, Ch- uh, you're not Chad. You're also not Joe. I've tried to call you both just now. Um, oh, Fizz. I want to spend a little time talking about Movie Bite 3.0. And this, uh, this subject is, um, uh, somewhat appropriate to have you on for anyway, because oh, you were you were one of my vocal critics of of the or or outspoken critics of the previous design of Movie Bite. Were you not? Well, I like to think that there was a lot that I liked, and I gave a couple pieces of constructive criticism, which you did to this design as well. Which I, I don't, tried. I don't think I addressed those criticisms. Not either. at all. Not <laughs> even a little bit. I'm like, you know, I, I had that email sitting in my inbox for a couple of days, and I said, you know what? This means a lot to TJ, and since he took the time of all the people that he could have sent it to, he sent it to me. I'm going to take the time to you know give him some quick thoughts. It's not going to be like a dissertation, <laughs> like a thesis. But boom, I, I took the time out of my busy schedule to send it back to him. And what happens? He basically, I guess, had a, uh, a email filter that put it right in the trash can. No, 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 and and. This is what we get. No, I, I, I definitely considered your feedback very carefully, um, <laughs> and I considered everything that you had to say about the design, and uh, it's, it did not go on – I mean, I solicited your opinion because I wanted it. Mm-hmm. Um, so – Allegedly. I, yeah, allegedly. <laughs> so I, roll, I rolled it out, though. I, uh, I, did, I did do some tweaks since the initial mock-up that you saw, obviously, um, but I did roll out the third design or the second redesign of the Movie Byte website. Um, do you like it overall? I think the the pseudo Comic Sans font is still probably my favorite. Really? I, think it, I would it, not yeah. call that Comic Sans at all. Uh, okay. Well, you know, you also designed it. So, you know, when you make things, you have a little attachment to them. I see that you can't take a step back from this site right now. No. <laughs> and, re- and really give it some honest criticism. No, no. I mean, I just, I was caught off guard by you calling it pseudo comic sans. It is nothing. No, no. Like it. I, 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 I'm a little I, bit of a font nerd. It is nothing like comic sans. Now I, so, so I'm joking. I'm joking. I think uh, people who go to this site are going to be able to find what they need a little bit easier. You won't have to scroll. And I think it's a little bit easier to read without the boxes. Oh yeah. Um, so I have not had a chance because I just noticed that it had been 3.0ified. 
uh, very recently. And I ha- I, yeah, I haven't had a chance to go to it like on my iPad or my phone to see kind of how it uh, is responsive or whatever. And yeah. the, the fancy word we're using. Yes, responsive. So responsive is the correct design term. So I, I haven't had a chance to try it that way, which is one of the things that I really liked about the, the previous design. But I'm sure that that's something that you're keeping in mind. So Absolutely. It's a very high priority. And this is to say for our listeners, uh, guys, if you haven't been to the website recently, I did just launch uh, the new website. You should check it out. Um, all the content is still there. Um, the uh, it, it's it's better organized. I think it's easier to get to things. It's much easier to read. I constrained the reading portion with like, like I identified two reasons why this site exists because uh, I, I really didn't sit down and do this uh, bit of, of thinking uh, critical thinking when I designed the second design. Um, I think we had given it a little more thought, me, me and Joe. We were really collaborative on the first design, um, and he has since stepped back a little on the design front. Mm-hmm. But but I think he had given that more thought maybe than I had, and I realized that was something that was really lacking in my thinking with that second design was, what are the primary purposes of the MovieBite website? So I really, before I, before I ever touched Photoshop, I really just took a step back and said, what is the reason this site exists? And there are two, there are two things this site exists for. One is so that you can read stuff. And two is so you can get my podcasts, right? Um, and so I designed basically around that idea. These are the two things you want to get when you come here. Um, so and I, and I constrained the reading portion of the site. Like when you get down to the reading of the body, uh, what did I constrain it to? I think it was maybe 600 pixels wide, just so it's a comfortable reading width when you're scanning it with your eyes. Um, do you have like a nerd alert sound effect? What do you mean? I feel like. 600, uh, 678 pixels is what I, I went back and forth on that too. Several, you know, I, I tried 700, I tried 800, I tried 500. So I felt exactly. like, I felt Nerd like, alert. I felt like se- 678 pixels was a, a really good width for you not to get lost when you're reading lines of, of text. So is there a way that we can do this, this section <laughs> of the podcast in the voice of uh, the scientist from the Simpsons? So uh-huh. it'll, it'll make, it'll seem more appropriate. Uh, I went into the, the pixels and I decided what what would be the best way to do it. Uh, would it be 600 pixels or 672.3152? I, I can tell that you really care. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I think that's this is one of those times where you're embellishing in uh, your your nerddom and it's kind of fun to kind of fun to listen to. I mean, reveling in my nerddom. Uh, I think you're 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 something in your nerddom. <laughs> something that we can't not. I I mean it is what I do, uh, Fizz. Even my day job is building websites, so um, it's, it's day jobs. what I love to do. Um, yeah, I, I and as pertains to this podcast, um, obviously this site exists. One of the reasons it exists is for this and a couple other podcasts. Um, and I redesigned the podcast page. When you get to an episode, uh, you know I, I feel like things are laid out in a way that makes a little more sense. All the same controls are still available. You can still download the MP3. Of course, that's of primary importance. You can play it right there. You've got the show notes. Uh, you can see who was in the episode over on the left-hand side there. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I majorly redesigned. If, have you been to your profile page? Oh, I haven't been there yet. I was looking at the um, – there, There's. I already found my favorite thing about the site. I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. I was checking out the uh, – Actually, I, I guess your profile, because you don't write on MovieByte, doesn't look quite as full. But you still got like – you've got the, the block of episodes that you've been on, and you can view all those. So, People. I liked it before when it said Colophony. Colophon? Like, yeah. Are you not familiar? Had... This is a publishing term. Are you not familiar with it? No, I am not. A, I, I'm like Forrest Gump. I am not a smart man, TJ. Oh, come on. I, I don't believe I, that. I know what love is. You would not be on this podcast if you were not a smart man. 
Oh, I do like this because it has all the uh, little little blocks here mm-hmm. underneath my picture. It does. Uh, I'm going to find somebody who writes real quick. I like how everyone's going along with this. This is like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. This has become an NPR show now. It this is. is it uh, has. You know, <laughs> we listen as we navigate through the site. <laughs> Let's see here. Dun, 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 dun. Where is Mr. Chad's post stuff, right? Or Joe, yeah. Joe writes things. I'm going to yeah. look at Joe's. Dun, 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 dun. Show's host by Joe. Where's his? Oh, wow. Got all his reviews down there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, I've man. Made it extremely and useful. If I wanted to know things about Joe, I could find that. So for you fans of Joe, the Movie Byte website redesign is for you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. What about Chad? I was a fan of Chad. <laughs> Chad, where is Chad? There he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was the co-host of the show for a very long time, so he has lots of episodes listed there. Oh, one star for Riddick. I'm gonna have to go talk to Chad. <laughs> Did he review Riddick? I would. Uh, I probably would. I think I gave it maybe two or two and a half stars. If I he gave it, he gave it one star. Or which Riddick? Uh, which Riddick is this actually? It, it just says Riddick. So, uh, so I'm assuming it's the one, two. That's the third one, right? Because yeah, I guess this would be the year. third one. Yeah, I actually would have rated that much higher. Yeah, I mean, it's still, well, we're not really talking about Riddick right no, now. No, we're not. We should move on from this. This is this is very narcissistic. So anyway, the best part of your website is I just noticed, because I haven't had a chance to go to the website today, that you linked to one of my podcasts, which is now my favorite post. Yes, so, yes, I did. When did I do that? Was it, That was this morning, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was the first thing this morning. Gosh. Yeah, I told you I liked it. I love this design now. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's narcissism. Yes, yes. It's, it's all about you, man. So, so in summation, this is what we do, right? So in summation, if you haven't been to, uh, to Movie Byte website, you've only been downloading this through uh, iTunes. Which is or, fine. It's perfectly legit, by the way. It's fine, but you should probably check it out. I mean, you're going to go to a lot of places on the internet anyway. Like, we know you are. Yeah. You're going to check all these websites. You know, just just stop on by Movie Byte. You know, just Absolutely. check it out. Listen to Fizz. Fizz, there's he's, a, there, he's a good man. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in this website. I mean, like, all positive ones, not, like, sad ones. I enjoyed you know? it, but it did take me months to get this thing done. So. so just, you know, just pop along. TJ works hard. Just, you know, just a little click. It's all okay. right. So this is not really what people tune into this podcast for. So we're going to we're going to transition here. Usually Joe is the king of our transitions. He finds some way to make it really, you know, like just flow and work. And then we have to point it out. And so it doesn't really work. But but um, which is one of my favorite things. About- <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> yes. Yes. I've heard you do that. It's pretty fun. Uh, we're going to talk about a trailer that I don't think either of us care for, but I think you your care for it is way lower than mine because you probably would not have even it would not even created a blip on your radar. But we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Let me play a clip from Disney's Cinderella. I want to tell you a secret that will see you through all the trials that life can offer. You'll merely be your stepmother, and you'll have two lovely sisters to keep you company. So I'll know as far away as I may be that you'll be safe. Wouldn't you prefer to eat when all the work is done, Ella? Yes, stepmother. Oh, you needn't call me that. Madam will do. So that was a clip from the trailer for the upcoming live-action version of Disney's Cinderella, uh, featuring mostly unfamiliar faces except for Kate Blanchett, um, who I... The only redeeming possible thing about this film would be her. Uh, yeah, it's got some... I'm checking out the thing now. It's got uh, 
still in the scars guard in it. Uh, Helena uh, Bonham Carter. Yeah, yeah, I forgot yeah. about those two. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Helena Bonham Carter thing is really weird, especially since she's the the the, the good one. The fairy godmother? Yes, yes, she is. Isn't that weird? Bellatrix Lestrange is going to be the fairy godmother. I mean, go figure. I don't know. That's a a gold member moment. That's like, isn't that weird? I mean, that's really weird. It's really weird. Uh, you have not seen this trailer. You, you, you like asked me, he's like, do I, must I really, do you, are you going to force this down my throat? Do you, do I have to watch this? Or I'm like, no, you can just, you can, your opinion is valid either way. So, <laughs> well, I, well, see, that's the thing you want to be careful because my opinion on how good or bad it is can't be that valid if I haven't even taken the time to watch it. But I will say this. I mean, it's like a finger not, on the pulse though. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, I knew this movie was coming out. Uh, I saw the, the, you know, the posters for it. Like when they announced it uh, earlier this year, you know, there's just a glass slipper in the date or whatever. And I just, for some reason, I just can't get interested in it. Maybe if there's enough buzz, maybe, I mean, maybe this will become sort of like Maleficent to me. Like I just wasn't interested in Maleficent at all. Like I didn't even care to watch the trailers. I just was like, no, no, no. And then it got really close to time. I heard lots of good things about it. It interested me enough to check out a, like one of the final trailers and I was swayed. But right now, yeah. Did, did this, you did you okay. ultimately like that film? Maleficent? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of problems with Maleficent, oh, but sure. I enjoyed I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. I think I I think I was in like the three and a half star range. You know, like a solid film. Um, I'm, you know, you know, not amazing, but you know, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I'm trying to look up my uh, star rating real quick for that film because I I certainly enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, and I I. And yet I was cautiously optimistic to begin with, um, which sometimes can have a negative impact. If, if, it's, if it's not a good film, then you were pumping it up more than it needed to be. Uh, I, oh, I did. I gave it three and a half stars. So it had some yeah. problems, but I enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I gave it three and a half stars. I just double checked as well. This this film, Cinderella, I'm not at all looking forward to this <laughs> like I was for Maleficent. It has no interest or appeal to me whatsoever. You know, the trailer is basically beat for beat the the, the story. Like they hit every story beat in that trailer. It's awful. Like what? Good trailers don't do that for for good movies. Good trailers for good movies do not do that. Fizz. They just don't do it. So you're saying that this reminds you of a trailer for one of those romantic comedy or not romantic comedy, but the um, who's that guy? Nicholas Sparks movies. Like where you basically get told the entire story in yes, the trailer. Yes. And you're like, why? Why? Even why? if I had any desire to go see a Nicholas Sparks movie, I. Or stretch to call it a movie. Like you've just told me what's going to happen. Oh, he meets her. Oh, well, it's a Nicholas Sparks movie, but you already showed me he died. Maybe you showed me that because we knew someone was going to die. That, that's kind of how I feel about Cinderella, which was the difference with Maleficent. Which I don't know if comparing the two is necessarily fair because, like I said, obviously we're not. We don't know enough about it yet. But Maleficent, at the end of the day, it intrigued me because it was like this is not what you've. You know, this isn't the story you know. Right, right, okay. yeah. The, the the angle from Maleficent was, this is not your story from your childhood. This is a different spin on it. This is maybe you were, maybe, what what if the story you were told was propaganda? Here's the real story. That was the spin <laughs> on Maleficent, and that's what made it interesting. This trailer, and, and you got that from the very beginning with the Maleficent trailers and, and the, the, the promos and stuff that they kept putting out there. This film is basically... Hey, here is every single story beat in Cinderella, plus a little bit that you didn't get before. But basically, every single story beat, and and so it's like there is no angle on this. This is just Cinderella. It just that's what it is. And you know what? I, w- I want to do this too because I want to table it with the concept that 
you know, we're probably not the target audience, TJ. Of course not. Well, but so, I don't know that we were for Maleficent either. Well, I think Maleficent had a pretty broad range that it could appeal to. I wouldn't sure. say we were the ultimate target, but I think there were th- there was enough in it to garner some attention from, our, I guess, our demographic. But because uh, it ended up being more of a kids' movie than I thought, I thought it would be more of like a teenage, young adult kind of movie, and it had enough stuff for the kids. Now, see, we're just talking about Maleficent again. Yes, the fact that it, the fact that it wasn't was part of its appeal. So Cinderella seems like a. It's basically you know four like young preteens, and it's just a live action retelling of a fairy tale. Yeah, uh, it's not good. It's not going to be good, and the trailer is not good. It's, it's very very sappy. And that that, it, that music, what are they doing? <laughs> but it could make a ton of money, and there might be a lot of people interested. Oh. But if if I'm going to see one Cinderella movie, I'm going to go see Into the Woods at the end of the year. Yeah, um, just because I mean the cast, the I'm very interested in. It. I was in it in high school, and so yeah, I don't know what to I, think I have, about that. But maybe I just don't have enough information. But yeah, I'm definitely more interested in Into the Woods than this. Well, it definitely looks like they're trying to to restrike what um, Les Mis struck mm. a year or so ago. And I don't know if they're really going to hit that note again. <laughs> See what I did there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I am interested in it. I mean, like I said, the cast is great enough to make me go see it just because of the cast. But uh, that that's a Cinderella one that I'll see because that's definitely not the Cinderella that you'll get in the Cinderella movie. No, not at all. Yeah. So I think the takeaway here is uh, if this movie's any good, it'll surprise both of us. That I think that's fair to say. Okay. Um, I want to talk a little bit. I know that we, we talked about Joe and I talked about this last week. Um, not, not directly this particular news, but we talked about the Avengers and the possibility of the Russo's directing, but it's getting much more hard to ignore. Um, and, and so this is news from the dissolve. Um, uh, Nathan Rab- Rabin over there says that Downey isn't the only one familiar. The only, isn't the only familiar face who will help make Captain America civil war happen. He'll also be joined by cap himself, and directors Anthony and Joe Russo, who previously helmed Captain America the Winter Soldier. The Russo brothers, whose roots go back to television uh, favorites like Arrested Development and Community, did a bang-up job on the Winter Soldier. So now, so they're now apparently being eyed to direct the next monoliths in the Avengers series. That would be Avengers 3 and 4, for those who are counting. Though Marvel has already announced that the two films will be separate parts of one narrative, entitled The Avengers Infinity War Part 1 and The Avengers Infinity War Part 2. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I'm trying to balance or figure out even how I feel about my excitement that the guys who directed Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which was awesome, may be helming Avengers Infinity War (laughs) versus the fact that it won't be my favorite uh, director in the whole world. Well, maybe not, but he's really up there. And that would be Joss Whedon. I I don't know how I feel about this. And I want I want to get your help. uh, Doctor, can you help me? Well, I'll say this. I, I really love Joss Whedon, too, but I would be perfectly fine with Joss Whedon uh, writing or consulting. Like, I think that's uh, he's he's one of my favorite writers. Absolutely. Yes, I He's I, not I necessarily. Agree. Yeah, he's not necessarily one of my favorite directors, uh, though. I think that he knows how to direct his his material very well. But the Russo brothers, one, I, I agree with you that I really enjoyed Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I thought it was not just a superhero film on a large scale, because I think if someone in in the, in the hands of another director or storyteller, that could have just been an explosion fest. It could have just been like action, 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 action. But I mean, based on the stuff that I've seen them do in arrest development community, two of the smartest 
TV shows that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think they bring a little bit of that to the storytelling and knowing that they're going to do civil war excites me knowing that if I have to give up Joss Whedon for infinity war, I think the Russo brothers have, they now have a track record with TV. They have a tracker that they brought to the, the, you know, the big screen that I thought was very successful. And I think they won't just let it, go on and fade away. I think they're going to, they're going to give it the do it's um, it's building up for. I think it's going to make us happy. I think that we are not going to be disappointed really in any way. Yeah. I don't think so either. I ultimately, I just, again, it's, it's the same sort of thing where I was disappointed. I know you're going to disagree. I know you do disagree with me on this, but <laughs> it's the same thing where I was disappointed when they recast the Hulk. And I have to grudgingly admit Mark Ruffalo is a much better Hulk but I really liked Edward Norton as the Hulk too. And it's the same sort of thing. It's like, I like Joss Whedon, but I really liked what the Russos did with, uh, with Captain America, the winter soldier. And I still haven't decided whether I like the winter soldier or Avengers better. And I don't know. And (laughs) it was really, it was a really smart film. And you're absolutely right. Like uh, other directors would have made it just another superhero film, but Captain America, the winter soldier felt like a film that happened to have superheroes in it, but that was about other things. Yeah, it needed to have a little bit of intelligence that was the bedrock for the action. If it didn't, I think we would have all been like, oh, well, that was a Marvel movie yeah. with some explosions. Yeah, it could have easily been another Thor. You know? yeah. and, and, it, and it wasn't perfect, no. but it certainly was. I thought it was really good. Um, and I, don't, I think we may have glossed over the most important part of this conversation. So do you think that I think Edward Norton or Mark Ruffalo is a better Hulk? Ruffalo. You think I think Ruffalo is a better Hulk? I thought that's what we talked about. Yeah, I could be. I'm. I'm. I. It's been a while since we had this conversation. Oh, I never remember we, us having this conversation. Look, so TJ, let me tell you. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. And maybe I'm thinking of Clark. I've had two people uh, on this podcast. I. Uh, I really liked Edward Norton. I was very sad Edward Norton didn't come back. I thought he was great. I mean, I love Edward Norton in general. There's very few things that I've ever seen him do that I did not enjoy. Sure. Um, to a very high level. So I would have been perfectly fine. I thought Mark Ruffalo brought something slightly different to the Hulk that worked for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. But I would have been even more excited if Edward Norton would have reprised his role. So because, did, you, did you like that Hulk film? That's the yeah, second, I, yeah. I really like that Hulk. Okay. Film. I, I must be thinking of Clark. That must okay. be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. That, 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 that Hulk film, I would rate above some of the stuff that came out after Iron Man. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I mean, after like easily, Iron Man, easily in some cases, but. better than Iron Man two for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I really liked that version of the Hulk a lot. Um, and it also had its problems, uh, but I, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was very disappointed that that uh, Edward Norton did not reprise that role because I felt like he made a fantastic Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, I, I grudgingly admit that Ruffalo, it, his take was different, and, and uh, yes, it was probably slightly better. <laughs> but I, yeah. Well, but you have to also remember that there's there's a, an actor can bring, and we'll probably be talking about this later. Um, when we get to the Hunger Games, there's a lot that an actor can bring to a role. But sometimes if the material is just not that good, all they can do, I mean, they can raise it so high, but if the material is not, you know, if the material is not very good, then their best is still only going to raise it to above average. True, and true. I, I think the base of the Hulk movie was better than the first Hulk movie. Oh, way by, better. You know, obviously, you know, critics, every, most people agree, way better, but it still wasn't, you know, 
something that had Joss Whedon's finger t- fingers all over it. That's and, true. You know, Mark Ruffalo basically got to come in, be reinvented as the Hulk, and have Joss Whedon write the Hulk. So right that that you're you're right. I mean, what makes the Avengers good is the writing of Joss Whedon. And that would that would be really interesting if we could still have Joss Whedon as the creative force in the background, even though he wasn't directing the Avengers. But he was if we knew he was involved, I just get I haven't I've gotten no sense that he's going to be involved in phase three at all. Well, I think it's going to be I mean, if I'm Joss Whedon and oh, I'm probably burned out. Yeah, he's got a lot of things that he probably wants to make that he can. I mean, he can already, especially after Avengers two finally comes out and makes, you know, two billion dollars. He's going to be able to, you know, make whatever he wants and produce it himself. Absolutely. So him, him investing time into the Marvel universe is a smart play for him because we win as an audience and he wins financially. He basically puts his name out there. He doesn't need, you know, this company or this company to do, you know, um, Dr. Horrible too. He's like, I'm going to drop some of my, my Avengers cash on that and make it happen. Yeah. That's what he's going to be able to do once he gets done. And that's going to be great. And we're going to continue to win. And I think that's why I really, you know, going back to the original thing, I think the Russos, uh, that, that's one of the th- things I really like about them being involved because I think they have a handle on what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing. I think they showed us that they have the competency to tell a story that has some intelligence behind it and the action. And moving forward, I think they understand where it won't, where they want it to go and they won't just simply phone it in. Because like I said, if you look at the, like, Arrested Development and Community are incredibly hard to write and tell a story for because they're really, really smart. And it has to work on a lot of levels. They're working on levels where, like, Chris Lord and Phil Miller are. Yeah. Um, wait, did I say that right? Chris, Phil, Phil Lord. Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah. yeah, I keep thinking I get like Phil Miller and Chris Lord. Anyway. <laughs> Whatever. Um, now you got me but, confused. Yeah, exactly. So they're working on a level like they are where, you know, you see a joke, it's funny. But if you think about it, it's a callback to something earlier, which is funny. But if you take a step back from the entire film, they're actually commenting on something else, which makes it funny on a different level. Yeah. And so th- th- that's really intelligent storytelling and that's really hard. And I think, you know, the Russos have the ability to do that and it's going to be okay. And I'll, I'll get to still see Dr. Horrible two and yeah, it'll be fun. You know, all kinds of other things from Joss Whedon that he's cooking up. So, yeah, you know, I'll, it's, it's, yeah. it's bittersweet. It, it is bittersweet for sure. Um, while we're here, um, we've had conversations before in past episodes about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show. Uh, how are you feeling about it these days? I have basically forgotten it exists. Oh, come on. So I'm going to wait until the mid-season whatever. What, what are they? Just the mid-season finale? finale? How is it a finale if it's a mid-season? It's mid-season you know, break, I think, uh, is a better term. Whatever. So once the midseason break comes out, I think we're going to just uh, plow through and watch most of the episodes. I mean, people have told us it's better, but like most of those people also were kind of in my camp where we thought the first season was pretty bad. So when they say better, they're, st- they're they do that that hand thing. They're like, "Look, it's better," but I mean, it's still not good. Mm-hmm. It's just better. You you know, I don't agree with that. But. Yeah, and I know you don't agree with that. So I, we haven't been really excited to watch it. Instead, we've uh, watched uh, Arrow and The Flash, and see now I, I would put Flash in the category that you were putting. Um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Agents of Shield in, which is like uh, it's okay, but it's got some issues. You know, I don't know. It's fine, but 
and, and that, that's what I felt like you were saying about Agents of Shield. So maybe we're we're just this is just our opposite personalities coming out here. Well, it goes back to what I was in the target audience and like what you understand what you're getting. So with Flash and Arrow, they're not exceptionally great shows. Okay, they're entertaining. They have a, a backbone of story that is interesting, but they're on the CW and they make no bones about being on the CW. They I've often described Arrow as a really compelling and thoroughly interesting story wrapped in a thick, almost unpenetrable CW shell. Mm-hmm. I know so exactly we, what you're saying. Yeah. So we get lots of unnecessary love story. We get lots of yep. melodrama, you know, but there's a really cool character story going on there. So it keeps you watching. But like I said, they embrace their CW-ness. So you, you're like, okay, this is going to be silly. This is going to be melodramatic, but I know what I'm getting into. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. says this is serious and this is Marvel Universe affecting. And so we're taking I mean, there, there's not like it's not supposed to be dumb or silly. It's right, supposed to right. be serious. And it's and, and, it's and when it's dumb or cliche, it's not it it, it falls. Um, <laughs> so you know, the, the, the the surprise to me this year that I thought that I wouldn't like, I thought I'd check out an episode and I was going to hate it and turn it off has been Gotham. Um, yeah, I know you're going to do that. No, no, no. I, I just, uh, I thought you were, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, so I'm interrupting. The, so the surprise has been Gotham. I mean, when, when any, have you watched it at all? No, I haven't, but I've heard like in a, in the arrow, you know, flash kind of vein, people being like, you know what? It's not that bad. So yeah, it's, I've it's, been a, surprised. it's, a, it's another one that we're probably going to try to catch when we can watch, you know, we can like marathon it like on a Saturday, Sunday kind of deal. For those in the audience who have seen it, anytime fish Mooney's on the screen, it's garbage. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Barbara Gordon or not, she's not Gordon yet, but Barbara, the character, I mean, terrible, but any, <laughs> anytime Oswald Cobblepot is on the screen, it's an amazing show. And Jim Gordon's not too bad himself. And, and I really like the character development of his partner, um, I mean, it's it's going good places, and, I, and I'm surprised. I'm I'm just really surprised because I thought, what can you do in Gotham? And even so, it's still lurking in the back of my head. Like my wife and I are both going, but but we, we there's nowhere this show can really ultimately go. I mean, until Batman shows up on the scene and Batman's twelve. So what are we gonna do? I mean, I don't know. So we'll we'll see. But I've been so far. I've been like, if I was gonna give up a show, picking between Flash and Gotham, it would be Flash. I would I would stick with Gotham at, at mm. least at this point. So. Uh, and I know that doesn't mean anything to you because we don't get along on television shows, but um, that that's my two cents. So no, like I said, I've I've heard lots of positive things, and in the comics, at least when when Jim Gordon is done right, he is one of my favorite characters in Gotham. So having a show kind of centered around him, or centered, you know, with him as a central point, yeah, or at least one of the central points. I, I, like I said, I'm interested, but it is hard to get into a show about Batman's universe without Batman in it. Well, like I said, I, if I, I would give it a try, I mean, you may not like it because you know whatever. But oh, we will. It's 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 definitely surprised me in in how good it is. So this turned out to be a TV show episode. I'm gonna say it's all about time and attrition, man. You know, you there's we we I have said this on multiple occasions. We live right now. Like everyone thinks they lived in the golden age of television. We live in the golden age of storytelling right now. Yes, yes, like, I would agree with that. Like I I can't not have something good to watch. Not just like something that I like, but I don't have enough hours in the day. If my job was to watch TV 24 hours a day, <laughs> I would still not get through all the really quality 
storytelling there is out there, especially in the in the the miniseries uh, TV medium right now. And when you think back so. to uh, the 90s, that's really amazing <laughs> because we didn't have a lot of that in the 90s. I mean, there was some decent TV in the 90s. It was out there, but it's not in the quality and the quantity that we have now. Well, it's definitely not the quantity, but, you know, I think at the time we probably would have thought, man, this is way better than 80s TV, right? Maybe, maybe so. Although there so. were se- several series from the 80s that I enjoy, but, but they weren't, they weren't as episode or they weren't as arc driven driven, which is what I really like about TV shows now. So, yeah, we're definitely you're absolutely right. We're living in a golden age of storytelling. And even though I have a movie podcast, like some of my favorite stuff is TV. Um, so, yeah, well, there's lots of times where since that line is being it's kind being, of. Oh, yeah. Obliterated. Very blurred. Yes. Like it, it's like I think we made this po- uh, this point on the Interstellar podcast. It was like I wanted to see Interstellar be like an eight episode miniseries on HBO. That would have been interesting. You know? Yes. I was like, you know, you have time for character development. You have time to really explore some of these things without having to be like, this is science. This is science. This is science. Incredibly melodramatic moment back to this is science. you know, cause you have so much you have to pack in <gasps> to a movie, you know, you can expand that. You can tell these wonderful sprawling large arc stories like you're telling about and Ooh. you can use TV. So don't feel like you always have, but people want to see in a theater. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, but, but think about uh, an, a, a show like Battlestar Galactica. It's obviously not a, a real good comparison to interstellar, but I think overall it's, it's a, it's a good comparison for a movie versus a TV show. Like think of Battlestar Galactica. That would not have been any good as a movie, but it was a, an amazing TV show. I thought, yeah, it was great. I mean, that's the the problem that I have with just saying it should have been a TV show is because it can also do what something like Battlestar Galactica did and go too long. Yeah, it did. And, they should have cut it off a season earlier and not had that stupid ending. They should have fired, you know, uh, more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, OK, so what what we're talking about is uh, like this is why I've, I've really liked British TV for a long time because they make exactly as many episodes as they want to make. Until they're done telling the story, right? You don't you don't have filler episodes on the whole. Uh, you you know you if you if it's a miniseries, it's a miniseries. It was like it's five episodes. That's all the story we had. We're done. You know that if there's a sequel, it's because they had another story to tell. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're not. They're point. not. Yeah, they're not trying to. Dra- and I think American TV is finally picking up on this because we have American Horror Story, which basically you go through a. A, care, a story arc and people say how are you going to top that and they're like oh well we're just not bringing back any of these characters we're telling a completely different story still American Horror Story but different they're doing that with True Detective they're doing that I believe no I guess they're keep kind of keeping it going with Fargo to a certain degree but these things that could be you know you, you get a set of characters you tell their story and then you keep the same TV show but you basically reinvent it and you don't have to worry about the, the material getting stale yeah so, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's a balance to be had there. Um, and one thing that I think is going to help that is the direction we're going with, with, for instance, like House of Cards on Netflix. Like mm-hmm. we, we've got 12 episodes or whatever. I think it, I think it's 12 or 13 episodes that they do it in a season. And we know we, we have a story that sustains over this amount of time. Let's go do it. Now we have some more story we want to tell. Let's go do it. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like it's maybe a little more towards American than British, but it's still on that same sort of thing. Like, there's no reason why we have to f- have filler episodes because they go and they do all the episodes and they put them all on Netflix. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that we may be hopefully having a shift in, in that as well. So we need to move on uh, to our next topic. Um, I want to re- reverse the order of these, Fizz. I meant to do it and I forgot. Um, we want to talk about the Star Wars thing next. 
Um, and this is that the Star Wars The Force Awakens, which I still think is a terrible name, uh, the trailer will, de- will debut, it said originally in nine select Regals, uh, Regal theaters, uh, but now the list has gr- greatly expanded, the official list. Um, in fact, uh, let me just pull that up here. List of theaters, here we go. Um, Phoenix, Arizona, Los Angeles, Irving, California, San Francisco, San Jose, Tor- uh, Toronto, Canada, Vancouver, Canada, Denver, Washington, Miami, Atlanta, blah, blah, I'm going on down the list. There's a lot more I've here. been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. Yeah, so, and, and the, the, the important thing to me is that it's coming to Franklin, uh, the tennis in, in, in uh, at the Carmike Thoroughbred 20, uh, which is where I'm going to be at. I'm going to be at that theater this weekend, so I'm going to get to see this trailer, and I cannot wait, and I know that you're probably going to be closing your eyes and stopping your ears because you don't want to watch the trailer. But. Oh, no, no. I, w- I just want to s- see what J.J. Abrams' vision looks like. I do, too. I think we're going to get a really good taste. Probably, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to get a lot, but I think we're going to get a taste of what J.J. Uh, JJ Star Wars looks like. I have a feeling it's going to look a lot like uh, Star Trek, uh, Into Darkness yeah. and Star Trek, you know, the first one, but... I, I mean, we'll see. Well, and so that's, you know, when we talked about this, it's it's where I almost break my own rule, but I have, I think I have fairly solid conditions because I have no concept of what a, you know, a J.J. Abrams, well, not no concept, uh, but it's something new. I want to at least taste it a little bit. Kind of like I, I was really interested in watching the first trailer for like Jurassic World. I kind of wanted to see what they were kind of thinking. Don't you know, what to, I, I still haven't seen that yet. I, I saw it came out earlier, but I, I was so busy today. I haven't seen it. Ugh. Well, it's interesting and it tells you obviously what the general plot is. And now I don't really need to see any more Jurassic world trailers. Right. Right. So I will probably watch the first, uh, star Wars trailer. I'm hoping I'll get to see it this weekend. I don't know if it's going to be in one of my theaters. I kind of imagine it's going to be hard not to get on YouTube at some point. Um, so I'll probably watch it if I don't see it when I go see what we're seeing the imitation game or something this weekend. And after that, I might watch one more because I feel like this is going to be a pretty quick teaser. And yeah, well, it says 88 seconds, which so, yeah. somebody made the quip that uh, after 88 seconds, some serious uh, stuff has going to have happened, which is obviously <laughs> a play on, uh, you know, Doc Brown. I, I yeah. changed the words, but you get the gist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so... I will probably watch a you know another trailer like well they'll probably come they'll probably come out with a full trailer I'm guessing around the beginning of the year I think I'll so watch, yeah I'll watch it and then I will do as much as possible to not have any of the spectacle or great or better story kind of details in my head so when I go I, I want to have that experience that I couldn't have when I was younger um, you know when seeing the original Star Wars. The first time they came out, you know, like like being blown away by the spectacle. The thing you I kind of want remember, that feel. though. The thing you have to remember is this is J.J. Abrams. Um, think about the trailers for Star Trek in the Darkness. Any spoilers that I had for Star Trek in the Darkness did not come from the trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not I'm, on that front. I wouldn't be too worried if I were you, but I'm not you. So and I and I I I eat these things up like I can't help it. This is just I, I want to see these trailers. So, <laughs> well, I, I look at it this way. So so it's Disney now. OK, right. Yep, it is. So if Disney does with the Star Wars property what they've done with the Marvel properties, you get trailer one, trailer two, uh, uh, a two-minute or three-minute clip, the final trailer, and then you get like – The final ten, really, I like mean it this time trailer. The the, ten, the first ten minutes of the movie. True, yeah. 
And, you know, by the time you go, you see all these parts, you haven't seen them in the right order. Um, but, you know, there's only so many ways that you can put them in order. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't want to see t- the first 10 minutes of Star Wars until I'm sitting in a theater watching the first two hours of Star Wars or however long it is. See, I went to the theater when they released the first, uh, what was it, 10 minutes of Star Trek Into Darkness, which mm-hmm. even that was not much. It didn't have much spoiler for the rest of the of the movie at all. Uh, but I, I went and watched the special screening of the first 10 minutes, and uh, that's just the type of person I am. And it did not ruin my enjoyment of the film whatsoever. I still think – in fact, I watched Star Trek Into Darkness uh, recently, last week. Um, again, just to make sure that it was um, it was still as good as I thought it was. And it, it's a fantastic film. Um, it, it In a lot of ways, it reminds me of, of Star Wars. Um, certainly, J.J. pulled out a little bit too much – or whoever did, whoever he had to do the sound effects pulled out a little bit too much Star Wars sounding sound effects. You could tell that – they're really more fans of Star Wars and Star Trek, but nonetheless, it's still a great movie, and it does give me hope for what he's doing with um, uh, w- with Star Wars. I, I, I'm a little concerned because I feel like JJ's just a bit of a surface storyteller, um, and I, what you know, some of the best story in Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back is not a surface story. Um, well, so. I feel like lots of the directors that direct blockbusters these days are really great technical directors. But they're not always the like. Sometimes they hit they hit on gold with storytelling, right. but for the most part, making a technically impressive film is great. And this is what we talked about with Christopher Nolan. Technically, he's I you know top three uh, most talented directors technically, right? But storytelling wise, you know he he doesn't really hold a candle to like a Scorsese or yeah. I mean, you, know, you realize of course this is blasphemy to some people. Because because some people hold Whoa. Nolan in such high esteem, I'm with you. Like, and I I was uh, laughed out of court uh, by uh, I can't remember who it was. But somebody's like, I read the first line of your article where you thought or your review where you thought that Christopher Nolan is a severely overrated director, and I I quit because I can't read your review. I'm like, well, this is fine. I mean, I don't care. But here's why you what you missed is my arguments for why. <laughs> well, you typically don't go out of your way to soften the blow, and I think I that's don't, I don't. You're right. That's usually if you would have been like. So here's these re- here's these things that I've noticed about Christopher Nolan, and then that is why, though I enjoy his films, I don't think that he is probably in my personal top five. And somebody could be like, "Well, he's probably but in my personal but, top five. But that's not being true to my myself, my 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 actual self, and my writing persona. Like that's that's not me. Yeah, that's and it's it's about it's about end goals. I want people to read my entire article. You don't care. So. <laughs> I mean, if he really hated me that much, it's fine. Uh, but I, I mean, honestly, he, you're, you're absolutely right though. He's a good technical director. Like there are a lot of things technically, although I feel like he made a serious foible, uh, with, with the sound of interstellar, but, um, he, he technically, usually he's really, really good. And, and he hit on gold with Batman begins and he did it again with the dark Knight. Not so much with the dark Knight rises. And I feel like we were, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I mean, like, what I really want to see maybe next time from Nolan is somebody else write the script and then he directs it. But, but he's it like, it, it's a package deal now with him. Like he writes and directs. Yeah, I say he, he has gotten to not, not as much as Joss Whedon is obviously now, because like I said, Avengers like <laughs> one and a half billion dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But he can more or less produce his own stuff. Sure. And, our, you know, him and his brother can write it. So well, why, mean, would he, uh, why would he, why would you let him with somebody else in that creative process? What was the film's name with the uh, spinning top? Come on, TJ. Why is your brain doing this to you? Um, uh, the guy from inception inception. Yes. Thank you. Inception. Um, 
Inception was not a movie the studios were interested in making. He said, look, I'm making this film. You can either get on board or I'm going somewhere else. And so they, they let him make the film. That's essentially what happened with Inception. So he, you're right. He can do anything he wants, and that's the problem. It, it's just kind of like it's, – it's not – okay, don't, don't get me wrong. It is not nearly on the scale of a Peter Jackson, but that's the same type of thing. Like, like Peter Jackson can do what he wants, and that's Peter Jackson's problem. <laughs> and that same thing is becoming true of Nolan. So. Well, like I said, I think that can be said of a lot of directors, and, and that's why and that's why I mentioned Nolan because I find J.J. Abrams is often like that. Despite his best efforts, sometimes there's really technically impressive things done by J.J. Abrams, but sometimes the storytelling doesn't suck me in like I feel like it should. Yeah, Into so. Darkness, of course, really raised the bar from what I expected from him based on Star Trek. So I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. So that's Star Wars. Um, this next bit of business is related to our review of The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, and that is that a Thai cinema has pulled Mockingjay on account of the three-finger salute. Um, Ariana uh, Backley of Entertainment Weekly, I have no idea how to say that. I'm so bad with names. Why do I even try? Um, had tickets to see The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 in Thailand? You might see a Woody Allen film instead. Apex, a Thai cinema chain, was scheduled to begin showing the Hunger Games movie Thursday, but decided to pull the film from two of its theaters and replace it with Alan's Magic in the Moonlight. The decision comes on the heels of a government event where five students were detained after flashing t-shirts with protest messages and giving the three-finger salute. The same salute Katniss gives in the Hunger Games to represent her district, and the salute Thai protesters took from the film to symbolize their objection to the coup. My, did they really not see the irony here? <laughs> Can they just, are they that blind? Well, I mean, I, someone has probably mentioned that to them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but they're trying to probably weigh the options going back and forth. I mean, it's interesting to me, or the most interesting to me isn't really the irony of what they're doing. It's the fact that something can permeate culture so much that imitating it from a film is seen as threatening. Yeah, isn't I think that crazy? I think I think that I think that's pretty impressive, and I speaks I think it speaks volumes about the power of movies. So sure, absolutely, but it's just weird though. Like, it, I guess it's it's um a little jarring to me, and and I don't know if it is to you or not, but it speaks to how you know if you follow me on Twitter, you know I love to complain about the state of things in the United States um, sometimes, but it, it just it really reminds me we have things pretty good here, like. We are not afraid that that the government is going to say that we can't watch a film because of X. Uh, that just doesn't happen here. It may eventually, maybe, maybe not. I don't know, um, but it just doesn't happen here, and it's just crazy to me. It's like, a, what? The government said they can't watch the Mockingjay. What? What? I don't. I don't get it. it just it's like doesn't compute. Maybe they just actually watch the movie and they're like, God, this is terrible. Let's just not let people watch this. <laughs> You're kind of letting the cat out of the bag here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm being facetious. It could be, but I don't think you are. Maybe they're like, we watched this movie and it's so great that we want to hoard this to ourselves and not share it with anybody else. Ah, uh, see, there you go. See, that would have been uh, hedging your bets, or, or I don't know, that's the wrong word, but you know, that that, that would have been holding your uh, your. your not showing the cards that were up against your chest there. Holding them close to the vest. That's See, I knew I was going to come up with a metaphor there if I kept digging at it long enough. <laughs> well, Fizz, it is that time in our podcast where we dig into a review of a movie uh, that we have both watched. And so let us dig into The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. I never wanted any of this. 
never wanted to be in the games. I just wanted to save my sister and keep Peta alive. Miss Everdeen, it's the things we love most that destroy us. That was a clip from the trailer for The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Uh, it was released on November the 21st of this year. It had a budget of $125 million, whereas Catching Fire had $130 million. The original Hunger Games only had $78 million. Uh, so it's kind of on par with the previous film more than the uh, first film. The opening weekend was $121 million, and the worldwide gross is $285.1 million. So this film is already doing really well in that regard. Uh, critic consensus from uh, Rotten Tomatoes is that The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 sets up the franchise finale with a penultimate chapter loaded with solid performances and smart political subtext, though it comes up short on the action front. The director is Francis Lawrence. Uh, writers Peter Craig and Danny Strong wrote the screenplay, and Suzanne Collins wrote the novel that the film is based on. Uh, stars of this film are Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen, Josh, uh, Josh Hutcherson as Peter Malark, Liam Hemsworth as Gail Hawthorne, Woody Harrelson as Hamish Abernathy, Donald Sutherland as President Snow, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Plutarch Heavensby, Julianne, uh, Julianne Moore as President Coyne, Elizabeth Banks as Effie Trinket, Jeffrey Wright as Beatty, and Stanley Tucci as Caesar Flickerman. The composer was James Newton Howard, uh, whose scores always, always are solid, fantastic work. And I was uh, actually, I was just listening to the score uh today as i was working and it's a fantastic score um it, it it i mean there's a little bit of reuse obviously some themes he's scored all the movies thus far and and i i there was one time and I'm like oh man that's almost a complete repeat of this other theme from this other part of the but but for the most part it was just like it was really good solid music um and uh i as i was listening to the soundtrack earlier uh today it, i mean it just flows very well each track sort of flows into the next it, it feels like a solid work in and of itself it's very good standalone it doesn't jump around a lot uh, so I, I was very impressed, even even though I like James Newton Howard, I was uh, extremely impressed with this particular soundtrack. So I know you don't you don't really pay attention to soundtracks, so I don't know if you have anything to add here. Well, that's the thing that I mentioned before the show started. If I don't notice the the soundtrack, I assume that it did exactly what it was supposed to do and helped me kind of ease into the movie. And at no point did I say, "Oh gosh, what are they doing right here?" Yeah. Um, like, you know, like we like we've talked about in movies past. So, yeah, yeah. It, since it since it just kind of helped me flow into the movie and didn't take me out of any scene, I get I give the, the score a thumbs up. Now, given it didn't have like I don't remember like any kind of great theme song, like an overture, uh, except for like the whistling of the Mockingjay. Yeah, but that's kind of the so it's, it's not quite it's not quite there. Well. James, but, James Newton you know, Howard's scores often tend to be very understated, and they were very understated for the first Hunger Games, uh, in line with I think the uh, Gary Ross's um, vision for that film. And they've been he's been gradually growing, and I feel like appropriately that his scores have been becoming more a part of the underworking underpinning and framework of the film. But even so, still understated, and and understated is usually a good thing. Like you don't want the music to be swelling and pompous when it doesn't need to be. I, I, I feel like. I know I've mentioned this before to, to many people's chagrin, probably lost subscribers over it, but, uh, you know, John Williams, <laughs> sometimes his scores can get a little pompous for my taste. And I really like the understatement of James Howard and James Newton Howard's scores. So this is another one that he did a fantastic job on. Um, you should uh, check out the score, even if you don't like the movie uh, sometime, if you, you should check out the score for um, his that he did for um, uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, fantastic score. 
So uh, the storyline of this film, now this is where I'm missing Joe. See, he really likes to put his flair on, on the storyline. <laughs> but uh, I, I could not find a good synopsis of this film that I liked, so I wrote one, and it's not that good. Uh, <laughs> uh, Katniss is in, is in the elusive District 13, the one the Capitol has told everyone had been destroyed in a war 75 years ago. But the games have utterly broken Katniss. She must now muster the courage and strength to be the symbol the nation of Penem needs in the face of the tyranny and evil of the Capitol. She must be the Mockingjay. All right. Probably better than you're going to find in most places. Yeah. Well, uh, most of most of the uh, like, there's the official synopsis, which is just terrible. Like, ugh, man. Yep. Write better synopsis, mm-hmm. people. And then there's like ones by by users on Movie Byte that were just not any good either. So, uh, <laughs> we don't have Joe's, uh, you know, super cool synopsis, but there it is what it is. So, uh, let let us dive in, Fizz, and talk about the things about this film of which we liked. And uh, you're you're my guest, so why don't you go first? So let's see the things that I liked. Um, it's a short list, unfortunately. <laughs> it's it's not as long as my other list, but there there were some things that I really liked about this film, and I think unfortunately some of them I, I don't think you're going to like. But I love Woody, Woody Harrelson. Oh yeah, uh, I I thought of the acting in this movie. Uh, I really love that. Woody kind of jumped back into his character of Hamish. I liked almost everything that Hamish was doing in this film mm-hmm. uh, up to right, right up to the end. I, I loved his kind of sound reasoning, his ability to uh, reduce my frustration with people not seeing very obvious things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, which I mean, like I said, which was, uh, it goes to a dislike, like seriously people like this is so over. Like I get it. Like w- there's no reason these characters could be in power if they didn't see this. And Hamish is that voice of like, I understand Katniss. I understand the situation. And, and I love, I love him in that role. And I love him, you know, having to play his, you know, sober self. That was great. Yeah. Woody, um, uh, Woody Harrelson's Hamish is probably my favorite thing about these films. Well, one of my favorite things. Uh, and, and I really, in the books, the character arc was there, but in the movies, the character arc is much improved. Like m- most things that are not, the same as the book are actually improved and, and, and Hamish's character is greatly improved. I think I, at first I was a, a little put off because like he is not at all the way he's described in the book. He's not a kind of a fat slob. Um, he's a little mm-hmm. bit of a slob, but he's not like the fat, you know, overweight, slobby drunk that you, that was, that was kind mm-hmm. of portrayed in the book. And, and he's really got a really great character arc here. Like he, he, you know, think about, think about, the, the role that he has to play. He was a winner of the Hunger Games, and that was many years ago. And every year, a tribute from District 12 is chosen that he has to mentor. And every year, he has to mentor that tribute and watch that tribute die. Think about what mm-hmm. that would do to somebody. And and that's how you get the Woody Harrelson or the, the Hamish that we have at the beginning of the, of, of the Hunger Games, the first film. And you watch him on this character arc begin to let his guard down and to love and Katniss in, in a father-like way. And, 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 you know, then Woody Harrelson just does a really fantastic job with that. Uh, I, I've been super impressed with his, his work on this role for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm totally on board with all that stuff. <laughs> I want to second what you just said. Excellent. That's kind of where I was going. The, let's see, like I said, most, most of my likes, I feel like are going to be me kind of picking these little, little pieces because unfortunately for me, even though there's some things that I really liked, I don't think this movie was the sum of its parts, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate because there were some really good things. 
do you, do so you feel that, like just uh, just kind of as a head uh, like a, a front runner here? Do you feel like that may change when you get the second part of the film? Well, that was kind of that was going to be one of my closing thoughts. Like I, I'm going to give a rating at the end of this podcast, okay, for this movie, right? And I want to give it the asterisk that I completely reserve the right to change my star rating of this film once I see the second part. Yes. Um, and, and I hope I do. Uh, you know, spoilers. Um, but you know, I, I think I think with two parters, especially like this, I wish they would come out a little closer together. I wish we could have. Yes. Because then we, we we got Harry Potter like uh, in in the in December and then like in June, didn't we? Something I like think that. So like it, it was, was shorter than a year, if I remember right. Yeah, I, I don't want a year between these two stories, especially since this is the story that I was left with. Because I don't really feel like we advance the story a whole lot. Yeah, and unfortunately, um, in this case, for you, it's it, it doesn't feel that good. To me, um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 was better than the second part, frankly. It, it was fantastic. <laughs> and and, and f- for you, that's not the case here. Well, you're talking about uh, Harry Potter and the Extended Camping Trip? That's the one you really like a lot? <laughs> so, the, really, sure. the, really long, sure. the really long walk in the woods? Okay. <laughs> Um, I really well, thought okay. it, the character development and all that. I, I just really felt like it was very fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I thought it was long and there wasn't a lot of action, but I still, I never lost interest in the first uh, Deathly Hollows movie. Mm-hmm. So that, that was something that was uh, impressive to me. But, and, and back to the, uh, the, the, the Mockingjay part one. Yes. The, something that I like about President Snow is that I don't like to throw around this word, but he's evil. Oh okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like he's a bad guy, and in a, in a time like he's the anti Captain America. Like right <laughs> now, I think I think we're we're getting out of the anti hero phase that we've been in for you know a decade. Mm-hmm. The you know the the bad guy who does good things, so you can't ever decide whether you love him or you hate him. And I, there is a lot to uh, appealing about that, but I love the fact that Captain America is catching on. Because I think people are just in a place where they really want to see someone who is honestly doing good. And to foil that, I think we also like to see someone who is just bad. And we don't get like the the sympathetic President Snow. We don't get like the, oh, well, he... He got beat as a child and now he has to <laughs> right, kill people right. to keep things together. Like he just, you know, he doesn't ever give any of these speeches that you really believe about the greater good. He's just like, he's, he's, I want to be in charge. He's not a conflicted villain. Yeah. And I, I really, I really like that because not only is that his character, but Donald Sutherland kind of disturbs me. Oh man. He with, knocks it out with of the how park. he just, yeah, with how, kind of how he how he slides into that role. Yeah, so I really like that too. Something that uh, I don't think we may be on the same page for is that I still really enjoy uh, Josh Hutcherson in in this movie. Uh, what were we at, I, I did, we at odds on this last time? Well, I was going to say I think we were kind of a little bit at odds, but like I, I was kind of on the same page because I did not enjoy him in the first Hunger Games movie. Mm-hmm. I felt like he was very out of place, but I think he kind of came into his own in the last movie. And in this movie, he was given very little to work with. I mean, we see very little of uh, Peta in this film. Yep, and he goes on a character arc in two minute clips. 
And I think that is impressive. Um, so when we, when we get him, Oh, I'm trying to figure out how to do this without, you know, spoiling a whole lot for right now, but you know, he's, he's, he's on screen. He's giving this address and then he comes on later and he comes on later. And like I said, this is, you know, we're not getting phone calls of PETA. We're not getting his side of the story, but we're getting his entire story through these little two minute things. And we only get three or four of them. And so by the time he's done, we know exactly what's been happening to him, what's been happening with the other tributes that the Capitol has, you know, has control of. And then at the end, we also see kind of the ultimate end game for what the Capitol has been using PETA for. Right, right. So I think I, I, did, I did that in a way that didn't spoil anything. Yeah, I think so. so and, and I get where um, you're coming from, for sure. I mean, because if, if, well, like I said, I won't say that now. But like I said, I was really impressed with what he did with what little he was given. Mm-hmm. Because the vast majority of this movie is uh, staring at Jennifer Lawrence's face while she kind of has like a a glossy look that could have been pared down to a quarter of the time of her just walking around with that dumb look on her face. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with with that, you know, we got a lot more from Peta with a lot less screen time, and that was impressive to me. So I really, I really like that, despite you know some of my reservations about. Uh, uh, Josh being someone I didn't really care for in the first Hunger Games movie. Yeah. Uh, and when I, when I left the film, I was, uh, I was a little bit annoyed. Um, not because I didn't know it was going to be a two parter. This wasn't like when I went to watch the Hobbit and <laughs> people were like, what, what, what is going on? And I'm like, yeah, there's like under three a rock. I was like, yeah, there's like three of these movies. You people know this, right? And they're like, people were upset. You know, I knew, I, I knew this is a two parter. Yeah. So I wasn't, I, it wasn't the that it was just a tone that I left with. And, um, but I remember saying, you know, I think Pollux is my favorite character in this movie. Um, cause I think he was about the only character that I felt was besides, uh, president snow and that, who was true to his character the entire time, what little he was given with it. And Pollux was the, the dude with the beard who had his tongue cut out. Oh yeah. 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 The Avox. Um, and so I was like, he was fun. Yep. I did like him. So I, I liked him. And what else did I like? Mm, I, I would say that there was only one time that I was really, uh, really into what was going on. And that was when they have the infiltration scene. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going to happen. But now I think the problem with that scene, even though I was kind of, you know, I was really engaged with it, is knowing the outcome I don't think a second viewing will mean will make it as good as it was the first time. Yeah, you've never read the books, have you? I have not. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Um, now, lots of people have told me that they have greatly improved on things that they did not like, and not many people I know like the third book at all. So that's a yeah. positive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say this, that I, I feel like Suzanne Collins didn't didn't know how to bring the series in for landing. She didn't probably really have an idea of where she was going after the first book became a success, maybe, is kind of what it feels like to me. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's mm-hmm. what it feels like to me. Um, and yes, I would say that I, I believe this film has improved on the first segment of the book or the first half of the book. Um, Good. I, I would definitely say that. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm really hopeful that they can improve my biggest complaint, which is toward the end of this book of, of the book. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I won't spoil it for you since you haven't yeah. seen it, but so, so, I mean, so 
I, I, I'm under the impression that you really were taken with this movie, TJ. So what were some of the things that you just, you loved about this movie? The performances. It was, it's all about the performances here. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, there's a reason why she's been winning awards. There's a reason why that she, she, she won an Oscar and was nominated for one again. Uh, like she nails the performance of Katniss, both in terms of what she was like, you know, in the book and, and how you would expect her to be after everything that's happened to her. Like she nails this role. Um, I, I really just, and, and, yeah, there's not, I don't, I don't know what else to say. She nailed it. I thought, <laughs> and, and you didn't think so, but I thought she did. No, I don't think she did a bad job. I think without Jennifer Lawrence, that this series is the divergent series. It's fairly uninteresting and they don't have a lead actress who really truly carries it. Yeah. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I think the script is incredibly lacking and the actress or actor does as much with it as possible. And I think Jennifer Lawrence did as much with it as possible, but like, this is, this is like my in between, you know, like thematically, I loved lots of the things that they were going for and I saw what they were going for. I know they were trying to deal with like the propaganda, the, the PTSD, you know, the power that the media holds and can sway over populations. I, I get it. I understand, but I don't think the script showed me that in the right way. Mm. And I think lots of these characters did a lot with what they were given, but you know, I mean, cause this is, this is that you're basically making the argument that I made when we did the catching fire review. Um, did we do the catching fire review? Yes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. You were on that show. Was I on that? Okay. Um, which was, you know, the hunger games did it right. They found a great actress who could carry this franchise. And I think Jennifer Lawrence is great. I think she's, completely deserving of all the awards that she's been nominated for. Um, probably more deserving of some awards that she didn't win than, um, than the ones she did win. Yes. Um, so I think she's great, but when I look at the performances in this one, I felt her material was not very good. I felt it was a lot of the same stuff. I felt they beat us over the head with this idea that they could have done in a much quicker way to not have to have two movies. Mm. But, um, but like compared to what, what, PETA does with what he's or what Josh Hutchison does with what little he's given the, the little we see of president snow that uh, really stood out to me. And, you know, and, and we talked about Woody Harrelson's Hamish, like those things comparatively to me overshadowed the performance of Jennifer Lawrence, even though I would never, I would never say that with, you know, that she was bad at all, not even average. She was great, but like ugh, there's something about what she was given to work with that really holds I, I just don't like Katniss. Well, for me, general. it is interesting. I mean, you have such great talent in here, and then you've got, you know, like Liam Hemsworth and, and Josh Hutcherson, and you're like, <laughs> how did this happen? I mean, because, like, everything else is so well cast. Like, could there have been a better President Snow than Donald Sutherland? I, I don't think there could have been. Like, you, he's just – he's fantastic. And we talked about Woody Harrelson. Like, he, he kind of steals the movie a little bit when he's on screen, and that's a good can, thing. Can I, t- can I offer something yes. in rebuttal? Yes. Kevin Spacey. What about Kevin Spacey? You think he could have been a, a better President Snow? Better President Snow. Yeah, but he his uh, I don't know if his personality would have been right. Like, and, and maybe this is me comparing it to the books because again, while the books can definitely be improved upon, um, I am comparing it to the books because I've read the books and like <laughs> Donald Sutherland's President Snow is spot on. Like that is he is essentially what I pictured when I, when I read a pre- about president snow and, and Kevin Spacey is not that for me. Yes. Kevin Spacey's, uh, uh, the persona that he uses for house of cards would probably be a good evil president snow here, but I, I don't, I don't see that it's president snow, you know, that's, <laughs> that would be my thing. Uh, yeah. And I'm looking specifically for 
basically a politician, someone who can speak and make you believe what they're saying to the masses. And you also think is completely evil. Mm. And that, that's Kevin Spacey to me in, in some of his roles. Yeah. But, yeah. But I don't think, I'm not sure Kevin Spacey would have been willing to, to the Kevin Spacey character would have been willing to go as far as Donald Sutherland in that <laughs> like Southern, like, I don't know how, and this is the thing that like, I did think when I was watching this film, how much of this did you catch? Because in the book, it's very prominent because you're reading about it, that, that basically president snow became acclimated to poison, which has really messed him up. Uh, just so mm-hmm. that he could po- he could poison everybody else, and he could take the poison so that the other people would not be suspicious, and th- mm-hmm. and that's how he stayed in power as he has poisoned anybody who threatens him. Was that? Yeah, totally picked up on that. Okay, okay. Yeah, because um, that was that was like in the kind of the background speech that uh, the one guy was giving. Yeah, and that's what's like. Wow, that's they're not making much of that because it's like part of the background while this other really important thing is happening. So I wasn't sure, but um, anyway. Yeah, Donald Sutherland's President Snow is fantastic. I've already sung the praises of Woody Harrelson, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> um, Julianne Moore. I am not a fan, but like this is the perfect role for her. Uh, I have to admit that like this this was great. Um, you know what what little she's there, she embodies President Coin again exactly as I would have expected from the books, um, <laughs> and, and and does a fantastic job with it. Uh, she really kind of embodies that. Yeah, I mean, yes, she's kind of this hardened, you know, war person, but she's also just a little bit kind of like President Snow, you know, where she's kind of like she's got her agenda kind of thing going on, and it, it really worked well. Uh, the the standout performance here, though, uh, for me, uh, the best performance in the film, uh, and this this brings me to the sad note, uh, is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, why did we have to lose him? This he he was so fantastic. Uh, and and this is this just embodies why he was such a great actor, uh, so understated and and so perfect. And I, there were several times when the scene you know was very tense and it would cut to him, and he would you know just just he could communicate even just with his eyes, kind of the tenseness of the situation and his his um, worried like like he did not project it much. I don't think anybody else in the room could tell it, but you could see it uh at, in his character because the camera was cutting to him and because of the way he did it like he, he just he's he was able to communicate so much with so little uh i don't know it was fantastic well uh, to me that's an example of a whole bunch of people who i highly praised in the second movie and i don't think they did a bad job in this movie i just think the script was incredibly lacking mm. and didn't really take advantage of their talents i mean i saw very little philip seymour hoffman in this movie which I think is an incredible tragedy. Um, I, Julianne Moore, who I actually like in most of the things that I see her in, um, in, you know, in general, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan. I thought that there wasn't really a lot there. Uh, I think in Catching Fire, I pointed out how Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks, Effie, was probably one of my favorite things. Yeah. And I thought that they gave her really only like kind of token things yes. for her to work with in this. And it was completely like, we didn't get, I didn't get nearly enough Stanley Tucci. In oh this man. Film. Yeah. No. That, and when I did, it was, it wasn't even, it wasn't the, the same. Stanley Tucci. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's, there were so a, many, there's a reason things. for that, but I, I mean, that that's part of my dislikes as well, but yeah, you're, you're right. I, I didn't have this on my dislikes list, but it would kind of go there. Effie Trinket was definitely underused that that's from the book. Like they did, they just decided not to write more of her in, She's she's mm-hmm. a t- has a token presence in the book as well. She's just she's not really a part of the story anymore. 
uh, which is unfortunate because we really began to love her in, in the previous film. Uh, and in the book, for that matter, the previous book, and it's unfortunate that that uh, she just sort of got you know dropped on the cutting room floor, so to speak, um, and, and well, no, she just not sort only, of dropped in. Yeah, not only that, but they brought they brought in Natalie Dormer. Um, yeah, Cressida to, to to play Cressida, and I really felt like, I was like, why did you bring this person in to play this character if you're only going to give her one line? She's basically like the Scotty of this movie, you know, <laughs> like what. What what do you want to say, Katniss? What do you want to say? Hey, Katniss, what do you want to say? What do you want to say, Katniss? What do you want to say? Yeah. What do you want to say, Kat? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, Natalie Dormer can actually act. She's in some fairly popular things. Yeah. You know, she's done very, she's done a lot of noteworthy things. And you basically have her in there to have half a shaved head and to say the same <laughs> line over and over and over again, which, you know, goes back to like, I don't understand how all these people can be real living human beings. And, you know, Hamish is the only person who's like, you know, if we actually talk to her like a human being, we can get more out of her. Well, you know, so that's fr- like, I don't, maybe I don't know how news works. Maybe that's what they really say in the newsroom. No, so that's why I don't watch the news. No, you know, but, but see, that's the thing. That's why, that's why it becomes on like a, you, you've got this person who has acting cred and you give them nothing. Yeah. That's and, a and problem. I've, I've I feel like the, the, the script is over and over. And then you give people lots of screen time, like Liam Hemsworth, who maybe you cast in the hunger games originally because you were like, well, Chris is really popular. Maybe his little, yeah, maybe his little brother is going to be the next big thing. He'll be in this movie. And then he doesn't become the, the really next big thing. And you're like, well, we have a whole bunch of other A-listers. We're okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, and, and the thing is, like, I know from the books, at least, that, that Cressida does not have any more of a role than what she has now. Like, Natalie Dormer has nothing else to do here. And maybe they'll change that <laughs> in the next film, but I'm, like, going, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's nothing else for her to do. This is, this role is very small. Um, so, I, I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, so, but for me, Philip Seymour Hoffman was fantastic. Uh, James Newton Howard's score, I've already talked about that, really fantastic. I, I continue to be impressed by Francis Lawrence's uh, good cinematography, and this is in opposition to Gary Ross's bad cinematography uh, from yeah. the first Hunger Games. Uh, he continues to have a terrific eye for what you, what you, the audience, should be seeing, how you should be seeing it, from where you should be seeing it. Like some of the shots that he got in the reveal of to Katniss of what what President Snow had done to District Twelve were just fantastic. Um, and, and horrifying, of course. Uh, it was really a gut wrenching scene that he captured so well, um, and, and it, it really brought out the horror of what Katniss was seeing. And in fact, that track that we were listening to before the show started, um, I believe it's called "District Twelve Ruins." Like coupled with with um, that music, which is very understated and and very well. Here, you know what? I have the sound hooked up. Let me just let me let me play this real quick. So. Uh, this is this is the track District 12 Ruins when Katniss is seeing that that uh, the ruins of District 12, and it, it's just it, it's it's gut wrenching uh, what had happened. You 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 kind of you get in the headspace with Katniss of why and and you understand like why Philip Seymour Hoffman's character um, uh, Plutarch knew that showing her this was the way to motivate her, um, and it's it's, just, it's a haunting score and haunting. Uh, cinematography, um, it's it's really good. So, um, 
yeah, that that was that was really good for me. I I continue to uh, to to like the political messages of this film. I I know, and, and again, I I know that this is a film where both sides of the aisle, if you will, think it's saying what they want it to say, and, and that's fine, <laughs> whatever. But but I I you know you've got you've got this tyrannical capital um, who who limits uh, anybody's self determination, even even the. Uh, even the people that live in the capital, they don't. Do you think they have self determination? Do you think they're free to do whatever they want? They're not. Nobody in this society is free. Um, y- you know, they've they've suppressed the free market and free trade, uh, and and that's 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 not a good thing. Um, you had the whole inequality issue with with governmentally enforced uh, hierarchy of uh, inequality and class warfare. I mean, it's a big theme in this film. Uh, the commentary on how the media works and and the media propaganda. Um, I continue to be impressed with all those themes. Um, and in general, I've already mentioned that like this film improves on the book in every way. Um, and, and, um, while I don't know ultimately if it was a good idea to split this film into two, I do think that for me, uh, it allowed for better pacing. Um, it's like kind of the one complaint I have with catching fire is it was well placed, well paced in the first half of the film. And then it kind of got fast and mm-hmm. maybe we'll still get that. Like maybe part two will be a very fast paced film, but part one, I really liked the pacing of this film. I know for a lot of people, and it sounds like maybe for you, that was an issue. But for me, I really loved spending time with these characters, spending time with Katniss and, 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 and you know, just letting things kind of be and not really feeling the need to, to punch things up with a lot of action. There was some action and it was good, but um, I really enjoyed the pacing of this film. So. Yeah, I, de- I definitely don't want to overstate like there needing to be more action because I definitely don't. I don't ever think that you need action just because you need action. I think I think it's a you know we want good stories, not right. You know, not not to be manipulated. Well, um, I mean, or, like like one of my favorite wow. one of my favorite films last year, The Book Thief, uh, had like no action in it. You know. Well, well, and so there. Uh, how do I want to describe this? I don't know. How do you want to describe it? Uh, oh, gosh. So <laughs> I didn't need more action, but I needed when we stopped with a character to feel like we were actually moving that character or the story forward for me. And I, like I said, this is, I can only speak for myself. And it looks like about 45% of the people agree with me and 55% don't. So I get that. But, um, I, I felt like we spent a lot of time with Katniss, which I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with slow movies. I love the fact, and I talked about this earlier, which is why it's like the the middle ground for me, that thematically, like you're talking about, they're doing a lot of critiquing. Um, and I love the them jumping out to take on that, that mantle, to, to take that challenge. I just don't feel like they ever really advance it. They, they just yeah. go, we're trying it, but we don't really do it well. Well, and, and, and I will say this, like that, that message has basically already been put out in the first two films and it's just continued mm-hmm. here. I'll certainly give you that. Like, like there's no more advancement of this message as much as it's just still present. Well, so lots of the reviews that I've read about this really, and of the people who really liked it, they're like, oh, this finally deals with like post-traumatic stress syndrome. They, this is, this is the one that really deals with the aftermath of having to like kill people. And that's really intense. And that, you know, it really focuses on that. I'm like, well, you know, we got that in the last one. Sure, like, she had post-traumatic stress. Yeah, I was like, she, 
in the first well, like one. She too, was, or in the second she one was breaking down, yeah. you know, in the second one. And I totally thought that was something that we don't often get, especially from, you know, movies that have a backbone of violence. And I could see it going further this time with having to deal with, you know, what does life look like outside of this, this life that you almost had to craft for yourself for the past uh, year or a couple two years, however long the story is technically going on. But I felt like it was a lot of Katniss being a bipolar, unlikable character. Like, I, I just don't like Katniss. She's whimsical. I don't understand how she breaks into these triumphant speeches. I was incredibly frustrated because I thought their chance to really talk about um, the the almost anti-violence or the, the withdrawals or the, the horrors of war or the horrors of violence, uh, especially on young people where, when they have this scene where they say, or when Hamish comes in and goes, what's your favorite parts about what Katniss does? That's you a know? perfect impression and, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that they, you know, they're like, Oh, when she does this, when she sings this song, when, when, when she volunteers for her sister and they're like, what do all these things have in common? And I'm like, they're not her fighting and they're like, <laughs> she, and they're like, Oh, the obvious thing is they're not scripted. I was like, Oh, I thought we already understood that scripting was bad. We're just now getting to the scripting issue we're, but we're still putting this in. Like she needs to go blow stuff up. Like every, every reason that I do like Katniss is her doing something selfless that has nothing to do with, uh, being a participate in the cycle of violence of the games. Yeah. And and no one points that out. And I'm just like, how do we not notice this? So, you know, they almost do it again, but then eventually they get her blowing stuff up again. But like her going in to the, the hospital, which I mean, isn't a spoiler. Uh, you know, I think that's the time they could have had. But then they're like, I have Cressida following her or Cressida following her around. What do you want to say, Katniss? What do you want to say? What do you want to say, Katniss? And I'm just like, man, they they just missed a really great opportunity here. And, and all the stuff that I loved, they kind of squandered. And yeah, I mean, I, I do kind of agree with you. Um, obviously, I think this is a flaw with the source material as much as anything. Yeah, and and that could be because see, not not or, or coming out of Catching Fire, which I, I think um, I think I gave like four and a half out of five you stars. Were really positive about that film. It, I was impressed. It, it, it was it was probably closer to four than four and a half, but you know we've talked about how you don't allow point two five, you know, and you've got to draw the line somewhere. TJ, I respect that, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. But it was it was one of my favorite films last year. Yeah, uh, it was good. It was and up. and not having read the source material, I expected them to really take that and go deeper. And this time, I felt like they went that, and they're like, "We got to make two films because of money," and <laughs> they let this one, they let this one kind of. Uh, Wade Bearden wrote a review and I love the way he, he put it. He said at times the script becomes lethargic and incomplete in places. Mm. And that's how I would probably describe it. And that's why I was frustrated. So the, the mood, well, we like, so we're not getting to final ratings, but there, that's why I find so many things to dislike. And it's not the sum of its parts because despite some of these great performances that we've talked about, you know, I'm, I'm basically in agreement with you. I think lots of these people do really great jobs, but you can't, you know, you can't make, I don't know. I was going to say something that was in, in, uh, inappropriate for this podcast. <laughs> you know, you can't, can't, you can't, can't turn crap into something into diamonds, you know, yeah. like, um, so yeah, don't, don't make me but, beep you out. 
Yeah, and I don't want you to have to. So that you know, so th- so there's that. But ah, uh, that that's why we go back to what we said at the very beginning when we started actually reviewing Mockingjay. I reserve the right to readdress this film once I see part two. And I struggled with this as well, even though I liked it a lot, and so I rated it based on that. Um, I, I gave it. Uh, well, we'll get to that. But I, I rated it highly. Let's see, we want to um, do this? Yeah, but I did. I think I even mentioned it in my review. It's like, can I? Should I? Can I give this film a star rating? Because it really, of all of the two part films I've ever seen, it feels the most like it's time to turn the disc over and watch the rest of the film, right? Whereas all the other films were standalone. Uh, enough that I did not hesitate. I would not hesitate to give them star ratings. And this one I'm like, well, but it's like, I was kind of like the film's only half finished. I don't know how you do that. And yeah, it was released as a standalone film, which by the way, uh, I, I've been meaning to ask you this. Did your, did your show viewing have end credits? You there? Uh, it was, I was seeing credits. Okay. It must've just been my theater. Like something must've gone wrong with the projection. Because like it came up with the Hunger Games Catching Fire Part 1 and the logo, and then it said dedicated in loving memory to Philip Seymour Hoffman, and then it just went black and there was no music. And I thought, huh, this really mm-hmm. is just Part 1. It must have just been my theater. So, hmm, interesting. Anyway, yeah, it, it, but even so, <laughs> even, without, even though there was well, credits. I, I think it's really important. If you're going to have a multi-part movie, that when you go into writing a multi-part movie, you have to say, do I have an arc that I can really finish that is worth telling. Um, and then the different arc is going to start. And I think in this one, they said, okay, this arc is what we're telling, but I don't think that arc hit home enough for it to leave me as a, a finished product. And yeah. that, that was a little, that, that was a little lacking. I mean, it, it was an arc, so I'm not going to fault them and say that they didn't give us some type of arc. But it well, ultimately, it wasn't ultimately this is why it didn't get a higher star rating from me is because it does feel a little bit like they should have found a way to make the stories a slightly more distinct, even though it's very difficult to split a, a one part book into two parts. I think like it, it would almost be better to split it into three parts because like you have three distinct f- acts. Usually that's usually mm-hmm. the way even books are written is like they're usually you have a beginning, a middle and an end. And so. In some ways, I'm not advocating this. I'm not saying that would have been better, but I'm saying in some ways you could see how it might have been better had they split it into three parts because you can tell the beginning, the middle, and the end. Now, I think those would have made for super boring films, uh, and so I think ultimately <laughs> I'm going to wish uh, when this is all said and done that they had made a three-hour movie instead of two two-hour movies. Yeah, I, I would have been behind that. Like I said, I I felt like this movie was – like I have seen some two-part things. Actually, we talked about this on our, one of our episodes of um, Whoology when we were talking about the season finale of Doctor Who this past season. It got split. It split in a two-part finale, and the first part, I think, just to make up time, they kind of drug it out a little bit because they couldn't give a lot of the reveals to push the second part forward until the end of the first episode. Mm. And so you get lots of kind of dragging it out, lots of kind of. Like I said, that that uh, lethargy in the script, um, just you want it to push. The word you were looking for was lethargy. I'm saying lethargy. Okay. Because I feel like if I say it that way, I say it a little slower and it's a little more lethargic. Lethargy is, so, is how the word is pronounced. Sick. Wait, did you just pronounce it like I did? No, lethargy, not lethargy, the, lethargy. Oh, man, I was hoping I was going to get convince you to say it the way I said it. 
Um, I, I, so, I speak very precisely, Fizz. I never stumble over my words. I always say what I mean to say. Exactly. Who who were some of the people in this movie again? <laughs> Actually, the people in this movie weren't too bad, but there were oh, some yeah, names was, I stumbled over. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, so I mean, so that, that's all, that's that's just kind of how, in general, I, I would I would classify that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not disagreeing completely with you. I'm, I'm just landing a little on the higher rating side than you, I, I, I think. Although you still haven't revealed your star rating, and I have not looked on. Because uh, you don't. It's because you don't look at Letterbox. I don't I know, know what's going on. I, know. Well, I think you were the reason I started using Letterbox, and, and I, now you don't I, even I use keep, it. I keep thinking about Letterbox and like, oh yeah, I need to go and, and rate my films on there. But like, it's really, it's a really slow site. And like, I would do it at the end of every movie. I would at least put a little thing in there if they had an app. But they don't even have an app. It's really frustrating. I do wish they had an app. Yeah. That would be incredible. That would be incredible. All right. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely into our dislikes now. And so I've, I've alluded to this. Uh, poor performances from Josh Hutcherson, which you disagree with, and Liam Hemsworth. With I, Liam Hemsworth. See, I never stumble over my names, uh, which, which, uh, which I think that you would agree with more, right? Yeah, I mean, he. it's not that I would classify him as bad, but I definitely wouldn't say good. I would just He's say – He's not in the same he, league as the rest of the actors in this film. Yeah. He was in this movie. Yeah, he was there. Yep. Hi, Thor's little brother. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then then Stanley Tucci, like, he was my one of my favorite things about the previous two films, is mm-hmm. hardly in this film. And he had a bigger role in the book, like, what's going on here? Uh, and, and it feels like, you know, to some extent, like, his lack of, of likableness in this film actually is part of the book where basically he's just being forced to be a puppet for uh for the capital even more than ever and and mm-hmm. he doesn't necessarily like it and and you can tell that he's just go, doing whatever he has to do but like i feel like all that's just sort of missing from this film and and i feel like they would have had time as much as i like the pacing of this film i would they would have had time to put a little more of that in so i don't know i i i just i like stanley tucci as an actor a lot like he's the one thing i really liked about the transformers i know and i know i use the word like in transformers in the same sentence and i'm sorry please forgive me uh but like he's the one thing that that, that was really good in the transformers uh, see i can't even do it he was the one thing i enjoyed in that other movie <laughs> it hurts i can tell uh, it hurts it really does um and and like i want i want I, anytime stanley tucci is there i want more of stanley tucci give me more that's what i want and and he's just very severely underused in this film i feel like he could have been used to much greater effect yeah i'm i'm i am a little tired of splitting these films up like this uh it, it, it worked well for harry potter and the deathly hallows um it it, it worked okay for uh, for the Twilight films, I know, and I'm sorry. I know most of you are not going to like the Twilight films. I thought they were. Mm-hmm. I thought that the, I actually, of of all the films and of all the books, I really like the last two movies and the last book pretty a lot. Uh but I like. Yeah, probably shouldn't have split this film up in the two. It, it, it's it's a little tiresome. So a little bit. I have I have one more dislike. What? But if you have more, I want to let you get some more words in. I think our. I think my last dislike. Or most of my dislikes, I've kind of woven in. Yeah, you have. And I think, I think, I think the uh, the last dislike that I haven't mentioned is your last dislike. So, okay, um, I am really sick of the love triangle stuff in these young adult genre books. Like, stop it already! Just stop! Just <laughs> make it go away! I don't want to see it ever again. I hated it in Twilight. I hate it here. And I know it's not all that prominent like it is in Twilight, but it's still there. Like, just stop already! Just stop! <laughs> just ugh. 
Well, and when you when you're writing or when you're creating young adult fiction, this is not something that you're going to get away from. So I know, I know. What what I would say in as a counter isn't stop, but just do it better. Like there there were times in this movie where I was like, okay, we're starting to define this love triangle, and maybe this will do it in a way that isn't frustrating anymore. You know, they're gonna they're gonna finally say, okay, you know, she is in love with Gail, but she has a deep love for uh, Peta, and it doesn't have to be romantic love. She can just care for him like a brother or something. So like, yeah, like but, we but, can but, we can have different loves, and this can be a mature thing. But then throughout the movie, they show that that's not the case, and once again, they make me not care about Katniss as a whimsical bipolar. Well, as regards the love interests, you're right. Katniss is extremely frustrating in that she doesn't recognize her own feelings, and you wish that she would. I'm not a I'm not a girl. I don't know how how well how this works, and and I've I've only ever been in love with one person, my wife. So I I don't know that I have the experience to say this, but I I just feel like come on, you you either. Make a decision and tell the other guy to get lost. Like, I don't know. It's just not working for me. I love it. This is so your come on moment. You actually said, come on. Uh, yes, it is my come on moment. If, if this were real world <laughs> theology, this would be our come on moment. Uh, yeah, it, it's just like, really, seriously? And, and like, she wants to hold Gail right out here at arm's length and say, you're my friend, but you're not my friend friend. You know what I mean? And like, that's not good enough for him. So you just got to let it go. Ah, it's just frustrating. And then Peta, don't, don't even get me started on Peta. He's like, there's, yes, okay, she, he, he was compassionate with, with the bread thing, and, the, and, and that was like his only redeeming quality. Like, he's not that good for her either. No, this is like the, the classic romantic, uh, the 80s, uh, 80s romantic thing. You have the, the nerdy, unattractive guy who's deeply in love with the main girl character. And who would probably, at the end of the day, the better choice circumstances, unwar- you know, not warranted. Um, but she tends to lean more towards, though can't fully commit to, good-looking dude who is a uh, sack of rocks. And, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's-, I, it's not that I haven't seen this story before. It's just I'm tired of it and I'm done with it. Yeah, and well, the, and it's that, it's the washing hand motion. Yeah, th- this is a uh, this is a weakness of the source material, and I do feel like the movies maybe have improved on it a little, but it's it's essentially what we're getting, what we got in the books, which is terrible. So that 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 is not <laughs> what I like about the Hunger Games at all. So, anywho, I suppose there are young adults, young uh, ladies, probably, and maybe guys too, who who uh, like the the way it is. I don't know. I don't know anybody who does. <laughs> now, what's going to happen? I mean, even though I haven't read the books, I can go ahead and guess that uh, love triangle is not enough. So it's going to become a love quadrilateral. She's going to have, you know, some daddy abandonment issues. She's going to start feeling romantically attracted to Hamish and that's going to get awkward you know, and Effie's there. Do and then there's want- a second love triangle. <laughs> okay. I don't want to know. Let's Okay. I'm just joking. Well, I, I I can tell you that that's not what happens, but what spoilers? <laughs> I think you, I think you knew that. I did. Okay. Well, I did not know that. I had a very strong inkling that that was not the case. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let's bring this in for landing because, like, we've been going now for nearly two hours. <laughs> so, uh, let, you're welcome, audience. Yes. You're welcome. And, you know, something about having you on the podcast is just we're long winded together, man. Um, so let us talk about our final thoughts and our star rating. And again, as my guest, you get to put it out there first. So, okay. I would have, I would have led with the, I don't think it should have been two movies. Um, I wanted to remind people that even though I did not really like the first Hunger Game movies, our first Hunger Game movie, I really, I really liked Catching Fire. I was really surprised by how much I liked that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I didn't really care for this film. And I think part of that is because the, the last couple movies I've watched, I have really enjoyed. I watched Gone Girl, Fury, Big Hero 6, all of which are in my top 10 of the year so far. Sure. Um, and I mean, and even though it's not my top 10 to a lesser extent, Interstellar, because we talked about before, you know, technically beautiful wait, film. Wait, you liked Interstellar better than this film? Uh, oh, yes, definitely. I hate you. We can't um, be friends. So, uh, but, but this film felt, wait for it, unstellar. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I will say this, if you were vested in this franchise, the then it's definitely worth seeing. I mean, because you're you stuck around this long, you should stick around even longer. Um, and I want to make sure that I have that asterisk firmly in bold. You don't really italicize an asterisk, but you know, in bold, large font asterisk that says I reserve the right to go back after this part two comes out and change my star rating for this film and my star rating for this film because if I understand correctly. Uh, the minimum star rating you can get for you should probably still see it in the theater is two and a half stars. I give this film two and a half stars, uh, slightly leaning towards three. Okay. Well, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy yourself, Fizz. Yeah, I, I was really bored when I left the theater. I, I mean, I did a I did a real quick uh, review on it. A uh, little, you know, me and uh, my friend Marshall and my wife, we yeah, just kind of that. So. And I mean, that's all we could think about. We were just like, we were, I was really bored. It's like I said, and I know part of it's because I watched Gone Girl, Fury, Big Hero 6, and even Interstellar, not an incredible movie, but I was never, I was like, wow, I'm engaged. Something's going on. And this one, I just lost interest about halfway through the movie. Mm. Um, and they brought me back in at times. There were some good, there was definitely some things we talked about, things we liked. So like I said, it's not a throwing movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just, it it did not meet my expectations, especially after how incredible Catching Fire is. Yeah. Or was, is still. Well, I respect your opinion. You're allowed to have a wrong opinion. <laughs> um, I I thought the film was pretty fantastic. Um, I initially gave the first film four out of five stars, uh, The Hunger Games, the original film. And to some extent, after I saw Catching Fire, I, I wanted to retroactively downgrade it, but I know that's not fair. <clears throat> Uh, and so I, I gave, I did give catching fire four and a half out of five stars. Um, so trending upwards, um, and it, it is a better film than this film. Catching fire is without a doubt, a better film than this film. It, it was a fantastic film. In fact, one of my favorite films of last year in this film, it did fail to meet some expectations. Um, and I think it's partly because they unnecessarily split it into two movies instead of making a longer single movie. I think that probably would have been better. Uh, again, I, I don't need a, a film to be an action film. Like a lot of people are saying, Oh, this film is so boring because it didn't have any action. That's not it. 
Um, and, and I did enjoy this film a lot. So I'm going back down to four out of five stars for this film. I enjoy it. I recommend it. Um, I wish it were a few things that were not as they are. Um, and yeah, I think that you should see this film in the theater. Um, I think it's a good one to see. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately not siding with you, Fizz. Uh, I think anyone who's listened to more than one episode of this podcast would not be surprised. But we side together more often than you might think. Okay. Okay. I I don't really side with you on that opinion. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of this episode of the movie bite podcast. Um, if you would like to follow fizz and keep up with the work that he does, which he does some fantastic work, uh, and he, uh, he's engaged with the culture and with, uh, theology and with all sorts of films and movies and just all sorts of things. Fizz, tell people where they can, where they can catch all that. Well, if you believe anything TJ just said, then you can find me at realworldtheology.com. That's R-E-E-L worldtheology.com. We are examining the narratives that are shaping our culture. So we'll be doing, for you know, for example, we'll be doing an episode on Mockingjay in sometime in December, and we will probably talk less about what we liked and didn't like about it and talk more about some of those themes that uh, TJ and I talked earlier in the episode about that were really interesting and how those are going to reflect our culture and how we can engage our culture through what they're learning from those themes. So if that interests you at all, then check out uh, the real world theology podcast. You can find that on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can follow me at physification on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. I love to talk about movies, obviously, because every time I want to hear me and TJ go forever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You do love to talk about movies. That's a good thing. That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter as well. TJ Draper pro is where I'm at. And, uh, you can catch me there. Uh, I also write on the newly redesigned movie bite every day. Uh, you'll find a little something there that I've done or a lot of things that I've written about. Uh, I try to write a review every week. I have not been successful this year, but I try to write one every week. And I did in fact, write a review of the hunger games, which you'll find in the show notes, which by the way, are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 114 is where you'll find the show notes for this episode. That is, of course, if you don't have a podcatcher that's pulling in those show notes. And, by the way, uh, Apple's iTunes podcast app, um, the, the actual po- the podcast app just called Podcasts on the iPhone, now does show notes. So, uh, and, and MovieByte show notes work in there like a charm. If you pull up the podcast in there, you'll find the show notes. So you may not even have to visit that URL. But if you need to, that's where it's at. Uh, and we'd love it. I haven't mentioned this in a while. We'd love it if you would go into iTunes and rate this show. That would be very helpful to us, uh, particularly if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, well, just let it pass by. And, and uh... <laughs> But yes, uh, go and give us a review and a rating. That would be wonderful. Next week, Joe will be back, and we'll be talking about the imitation game. And we'll probably have a few things to say about the Star Wars trailer, I would imagine, just knowing the way that uh, things go. Uh, So be tuned in for that next week. Uh, We'll record Tuesday night, as always, and release Wednesday morning, as we're doing with this episode. So we'll look forward to talking to you then. Thank you, Fizz, for being here and for filling in for Joe. Oh, man, I always have so much fun. Thanks so much for having me, TJ. All right, see you later. Bye-bye.